We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. I can't believe they've been able to keep Morgan Scally that long in Utah, man. He's a star yeah. defense coordinator, but yeah. Yeah. John A1, now that the conference has ha, have done away with visions and gone to a three annual opponents, which three ACC teams would you consider playing every year? For me, it would be Florida State, Georgia Tech, and Boston College. I, I, I don't really have a lot of interest in playing Georgia Tech all the time. That would not be one. I do like the Boston College one, Ryan. I, I, I do think that Boston College or Pitt would be one of my two. Uh, I'd probably go with Boston College just because. I'd, I'd be I down with Boston College. Yeah. yeah. Some of the past good games you've had and the history there. Yeah. yeah. I'd be down with Boston College. It, the, 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 you want to have a, a rival against one of the better teams. I, I'm torn, Ryan. And, Part of me wants to say Florida State because you played some past games and all that, but I don't know. I just have never really cared a whole lot about having a rivalry with Florida State. I would either want to go back to playing yeah. Miami, although I'm not sure I would love that because they're yeah. just they're not Miami anymore. Uh, but Miami's sure. where. I'm, but I, you know what? I really like this Clemson rivalry, and, and part of it is because there's such a mutual respect there, where it's not this hate. Like Dabo, like they battled hard against Notre Dame this year. 
because they respected Notre Dame because of what Notre Dame did to him the year before. Dabo has always spoke glowingly of Notre Dame. Like there's a mutual respect there, but those two teams tend to kind of bring something out of each other that they just don't when they play most other ACC teams. I just I, I kind of like that. So I'm kind of torn between Miami and Clemson. I don't want to do both, but I'm torn between those two. And and then after that, I, I don't really because I don't really care about. I mean, Stanford will be one, but I don't really care about playing Stanford. Honestly, I, I'm okay not with them not being my my third. You know, it'd be an interesting one for me. Ryan would would be if I had to play three teams. It, it, give me Duke, just because there's some like mindedness there. It's a game that you're you're going to have a r- consistent rival that occasionally will be good that get you a good win, but more often than not, it's a W. I mean, you're chalking up a dub on that one. But it there's an there's an aspect of I I like what Stanford brings to the table from you're constantly playing in, in a like minded institution. I just don't respect Stanford because the fact that they don't respect football at all. Not that Duke respects football a ton, but more than Stanford. You know, so right. so so maybe Duke. I don't know who my third one would be, but BC probably Duke, and then either Miami or Clemson would be one of those. I, I don't really care about having Florida State be a regular one. I'm cool. I'm cool with Boston College. I think there's a little bit of history there. Obviously, there's been some good games between Notre Dame and Boston College historically. UNC is one that kind of has my interest a little bit, peaked a little bit. I. I like that Notre Dame is getting more heavily involved in a recruiting aspect in the Carolinas recently. Mm-hmm. And I think that UNC has like kind of a, a coolness to them to a degree. You know, I think it's the uniforms, Chapel Hill. Like, I, I think there's kind of a coolness there. And all for the Miami rebirth. I know that they're not the program that they once were, but I think there's, I think the rivalry part of the game of college football is, is what makes it special, even though that they're trying to rid a lot of rivalries and, you know, Sadly. whether they're Miami of the, yeah, seriously. Miami, whether it's 2001 Miami or it's 2023 Miami, you, you still, as a Notre Dame fan, Catholics versus convicts, right? Like it's still yeah. in the back of your mind yeah. and you still get up for that football game. So I'll take yeah. Miami too. If only they had a better stadium to play in, that'd be nice. Sure. That'd be very nice. Not that, not that that stadium's not nice, but it's just not a college football stadium. It just, right. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I don't I don't really have a there's I don't really have a desire to have two northern teams on my schedule either cuz I thought for a second what about BC and Pitt cuz there's some traditional ri- rivalries there with both of them but I just I wouldn't want both of them on my schedule. I I would much rather have you know, two like Miami and or Clemson and then BC and then have a rotating through the Carolinas would be more interesting to me. The North Carolina one's interesting, Ryan, because you, you, there is a coolness factor, but the problem is North Carolina just hasn't, they just, they just don't in recent years, they just haven't matched up, matched up against Notre Dame. I, I remember watching them beat Notre Dame back in 08 and I just was so disgusted. And then they had that really close game in, was it, uh, 14, where Notre Dame blew a big lead. But outside of that, it's been pretty much domination every time they've played since then, which is kind of interesting. Kind of Because you'd think they'd be more competitive. You'd think they would give Notre Dame a close game because they actually are one of the few Carolina teams that has athletes that can kind of say, hey, we got some athletes that can go against these guys. And uh, But they just they get out physicaled. Notre Dame just beats them up in the trenches all the time. All the physical kids go to Elon, apparently. 
stay away from North Carolina. <laughs> or NC State, yeah. Yep. John A1, which of the listed former Notre Dame great wide receivers would you like to be on the 2024 team? Tim Brown, Michael Floyd, or Jeff Samarja? I would take we'll personally. Or Tim Brown. We'll go for, excuse me. I, I go I go Tim, Tim Brown because Tim, Tim Brown was like Tim a four three something guy too, right? Like he could fly. Yeah, and, and he was also a dynamic return guy. I mean, the, the, you know, he yeah. he was an impact returner as well. Right. The only the the only the only argument I would make for Floyd Ryan would be he might fit what your team need is greater with the makeup of the current roster. But my whole thing with Tim Brown is Tim Brown can play wherever the heck you want to play him. Right. I mean, Anywhere put him into the boundary. Let him exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tim Brown was a great player. Great player. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I don't remember watching him at Notre Dame, but I've gone back and watched games. Like I, you go back and watch the Michigan State game where he basically won the Heisman. I mean, it's just like, yeah, this dude's dynamic. This guy's special. So I, I'd go. Samarz would be a distant third for me, but I would be happy with any of those three. I mean, right. they're all heck, heck, really excellent. You want to give me Jeff Samarz? I'll take him. Yeah, sure. <laughs> the, ba- the baseball team can have him back too, and they'll be really happy. Yes, so. exactly. Of those three, Brown, Floyd, Samarja, and I'd be happy with any of them. But the, the top two are just way more dynamic players, in my opinion. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. So you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. We had Joe Allen who said, with the potential of losing a quarterback to the portal, does Notre Dame roll with just three? 
or try to get another one out of the portal. I mean, there's no need to go to the portal for a guy in case you lose another guy. I mean, if you have to right. do that after the spring, then you deal with that after the spring. But for right now, you've got four quarterbacks. Those kids are all going to go out and compete in the spring. And that's where my focus is on. If if that circumstance changed, then this is the thing. If one of them leaves for the portal, the portal's open up for you to go find the replacement. That, that's basically how it works. But um, the, I, I'm the good I'm, news is I'm not worried about that. It, if if you especially if you're you're not interested in it at all, is that I know he's a preferred walk on and he's a true freshman, but I do think Anthony Rezac brings you some solid stuff to be like, all right, fourth quarterback, yeah. whatever. Like we'll move forward here. So between yeah. him and Dylan Devison, yes. Yeah. You have five kids that you can get yes, a hundred percent correct. Cause like to your point, if if you ever got to an emergency situation where you had to put Anthony Rezac in a game. You run a million RPOs and read zones, and you dominate. You know what I mean, and and you, you yep. make enough plays to go win that game. You know, a couple I mean, slides, a couple screens, should be all right. Yeah, some bootlegs, exactly, exactly. We had a question from John A. One. Jared Parker proved to be a really good tight ends coach. Can Mike Denbrock maintain the level of development at the tight end position? Well, I mean, I, I, I Mike Denbrock has coached tight ends for quite a long time. In his tenure, uh, he's had a lot of success at it. He was Notre Dame's tight ends coach uh, when this kid named Tyler uh, Eifert was coming up as a as a player and Kyle Rudolph. Uh, he was also the receivers coach during a tenure when he developed Will Fuller. You know, he recruited Miles Boykin, Equinemi St. Brown, Javon McKinley, Chase Claypool. You know, he was the he was the the receivers coach in 2015 when they had that really outstanding receiving core with Will Fuller, Chris Brown, and, and uh, Amir Carlisle. So yeah, I think he'll be fine. Like I said, he was Notre Dame's tight ends coach when he. So it, it was funny they had a, like a lot of turnover. So Brian Kelly thought it would would make a lot of sense in his first two years to take one of the best running back coaches in the game and move him to receivers, which he did with Tony Alford. Uh, but Mike Denbrock in 2010 and 2011 was the tight ends coach in Notre Dame. And that's when you had Kyle Rudolph and Tyler Eifert together. And then obviously Tyler Eifert in 2011 was even more productive statistically than he was in 2012 when he, um, when he was, uh, I think he won the Mackey award in 12, didn't win it in 11 when he was actually a, a far more productive player. So I, I think he'll be, I think he'll be just fine. developing. And if anything, he'll, it'll be easier for him because there's far less guys than when he was the receivers coach. So, it, it, you know, I think in that regard, it'll be a lot easier as well. And look, you know, at, at Cincinnati, Ryan, in was it 2021 or tw it was 2020, I think, is when uh, th they had Josh a tight end that led their team in receiving, Taylor. right? Yeah. Wasn't it? Wasn't it 2020? Josh Wiley, right? Yeah, it was in 2020. Josh Wiley led that team in recep reception yards. So you had. Yeah, Michael Young on that team, Alec Pierce on the team, Trey Tucker on that team, and and you also had Leonard Taylor on that team. So you had a lot of production from that position. The next year when you had those really great receiver production, Josh Wiley that season. So you had Pierce, Scott, Tucker, all NFL draft picks. Michael Young was on that team. So your tight ends ranked fifth and sixth on your team in catches. But, they, I mean, look at the total production. Josh Wiley had 26 for 332 and six. Leonard Taylor yep. had 28 for 268 and four. That's 54 catches for what is that? That's I think that's almost on the dot nine, uh, 600 yards and 10 touchdowns. Le While Leonard Taylor was the one that had that um, little dagger reception down the seam See? against Notre Dame. That yeah, kind of exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and 10 touchdowns between the two of them. 
And then yet another tight end on the team that had two catches for 22 yards and another touchdown. And yet another tight tight end that had a touchdown. That's so you had 12, 12 touchdowns out of your tight ends. And then the last two years at LSU, I mean, Mason Taylor was a solid player this year. And I, I don't know. I, I personally don't believe he has the talent of some of their names top guys, but Mason Taylor caught 36 balls this year. And they didn't really have anybody else at the position that I thought was really worth a darn. But two years ago, Mason Taylor had 38 for 414. He was a little bit banged up this year. I think he missed one or two games this season. Mason Taylor did. Uh, but his first year there, 38 catches, 414 yards at the position. So, uh, yeah, he, he'll be just fine producing tight ends, in my opinion. And, and you are correct. Jared Taylor, Jared Parker did a very nice job coaching tight ends the last two years. Uh, but I think Mike Dembrock will be able to keep that thing rolling. There's not a doubt in yes. my mind. You, you agree, right, Ryan? Yes, I do agree. Yes. Okay. I don't think there will be a drop-off there. No. Uh, Michael with a question. In my mind, maybe it's a stretch, but in my opinion, I could now see Notre Dame taking five wide receivers in the 2025 yeah. class. Dress a little bit earlier, Ryan, but we, we, we yeah. I think we both agree. It could happen. There's a possibility, right? Yeah, numbers four, but we could see what happens if you get the right combination that want to come play. Yeah. And I could see them taking a fifth who's a high-level guy, and then somebody falling off, and then they're back to four. But but people would be okay with it because that guy would be falling off because you got a, a top guy. Right. Yep. We have John A1 with another question. In short yardage situations, less than three yards, who do you project the strengths to be with the departure of estimate? I, Brian, I, I don't know. I, my initial thoughts is that I imagine that Jabron Payne is going to get an initial crack at this opportunity to be that short yardage back, but I could see Kedron Young potentially working in at some point. Heck, I could see Aeneas Williams being pretty good in that scenario as well because he's built low to the ground and he runs really hard. But I think my if my top two guys that I would predict would be, I think that Jabron Payne will get a crack. I could see Kedron Young getting cracked. And then, heck, John, I think that Riley Leonard could double as a short yardage sure. weapon in those goal line situations. Well, certainly a lot of read fire. stuff, Ryan. And like you said, a lot of the read, like, you know, Q power where you're basically running a, you know, Q power is a, is a read play. You're basically running jet sweep act or sweep action outside zone or sweep action, depending sweep more is more likely most, how most people do it uh, outside zone footwork from the running backs. If you're doing it with the running back. And then the quarterback is reading, and he's keeping it. If he and you're, you're blocking power with the offensive line, and then blocking sweep on the perimeter, basically. I I, I also love it to pair with Jeremiah Love and Jadarian Price's run style Correct. as well. Well, and Jadarian Price is another guy, Ryan, that I could see being a, a a guy that they use more in some of those short yardage situations because he's got great downhill explosives. He's another guy that he's built like a tank, and he's also built low to the ground. So I could see him also potentially being a, a part of that as well in that conversation. But I, I don't know that there's going to be a guy. Either there's going to be times when it may be Jeremiah Love because you want to really scare teams with that read combination on third, you know, third and three. You know, we're like, hey, you've got to worry about this guy in the backfield. You got to worry about us gashing him with on. I mean, that to me, that inside zone read with Jeremiah and Jadarian and then Riley is just going to be really dynamic really dynamic because you'd watch teams against LSU last year that they'd still crash on the backs, even though the backs were kind of, eh, and they had Jaden yeah. Daniels, a quarterback. It's just the natural tendency to crash the backs. Imagine what it's going to be like when you've got the running backs. Notre Dame has running that action, right? Split gun, both running backs to the backfield. 
inside zone. You pull it. There's the triple baby, triple option yeah. out of a different look. Well, Love it. And like, here's the thing, Ryan. I mean, you're 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 kind of laughing about it, and I get it because you like striking my nerves with 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 triple with the triple option. But you're you're actually speaking like football truth and and stuff we've seen Mike Denbrock do. Now he would do it kind of with receivers at LSU. He would kind of send a guy in motion and then kind of swing him around. They run inside zone yeah. and then they get the bubble screen. But at a 21 personnel with Notre Dame, why not do it with your two backs? You know, you can yeah. do some things out of it that way too. So, I mean, yeah, you're saying it in a, in a funny way, but he's also being serious folks. Like there's some really dangerous things. Like they would do stuff at, um, at LSU and you know what I'm talking about where they would run inside zone read and it's not a keep, it's not a give, keep run. It's a give, keep, bootleg where he could keep it and run or throw the little slider out to the tight end. Could you, I could imagine Notre Dame doing that with Jadarian price being the, the read zone, the, the inside zone back and you're sneaking Jeremiah love underneath on, on a slide concept where now that guy's like, do I run with Jeremiah love or do I run with, or do I stay on Riley Leonard? And mm-hmm. you know, neither answer's good. And if you're now then defensively having to say, hey, well, we're gonna we're gonna have to make sure we play for that. Now I'm just giving it up the middle to Jadarian Price and he's ripping you up inside. So it really gives you a lot of options that that can make it be real dangerous, Ryan. And then you run that action off play action, those teams start biting up, and Riley throws it over to the top to someone. There's just so if you're a creative coordinator and you look at the talent they have a running yeah. back, there's so many creative things they can do out of that. So you are spot on, Ryan. There's if you're not doing stuff like that, then you're just not thinking enough about how to utilize the talent of this football team. You're just not. Right. You're just not. Right. You remember all the stuff Rich Rod used to do at West Virginia with that type of stuff? Oh, like yeah. That stuff was nuts, oh, yeah. Man. He did a lot of great stuff. He was yeah. revolutionary for a while too. And then he uh yeah. fell into a little he bit just couldn't he couldn't adapt. Like he had this great concept that was ahead of its time. I mean, even you know, even before at West Virginia, I've talked a lot about how much I loved watching Woody Dancer play. Well, who was Woody Dancer's offensive coordinator? It was Clemson. It was Rich Rod. You know, and then yeah. obviously he got the head coaching. I mean, he was doing this stuff, some of this wild stuff back at Glenville State in the 90s. You're just like, dude, this dude's doing some wild stuff. Yeah, but the, as the game evolved and everybody started doing it, he couldn't evolve yeah. past it. And that's right. kind of what hurt him. But he did a nice job at Jacksonville State this year. And nice, yeah. nice squad. Nice squad. Should have just stayed at West Virginia, man. Never should have went to Michigan. Should have just stayed at West Virginia. Yep. That was a bad John fit. John A1. Yeah, it was a really bad fit. Do you believe the offense will be more effective this spring from top to bottom than the past two years? In the spring? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't know how much Riley Leonard's going to play in the spring game. Coordinator. Yeah. Lot, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're going to have your third coordinator in three years. And, you know, I – who knows if Faison's probably not playing in the spring game. And I don't know how much they're going to play Riley Leonard in the spring game. I mean, there's so many unknowns. I have no idea. Do I think the offense will be more effective in the fall than they were the past two years? Yes. Spring. I hope not. Honestly, I'm like the defense should be better than the offense in the spring. In my opinion, it should. And, And for a host of reasons, so if the offense is out there shredding the defense and the defense is trying, that might concern me a little bit. I'll be honest new, with you. New offensive coordinator, new quarterback, new wide receivers. I would be sh- very surprised if it was just like smooth transition and everything's yeah. clicking early on. I'd be very surprised. 
unless they did something where they wanted to schedule the spring game for success for the offense. So like maybe have it like ones versus twos kind of thing just to try to gain. Yeah. But in a normal scrimmage where, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't see that. We had Ida Benami with another one. Do you guys prefer the playoff games all on campus or not mind how it's set up now? As far as like neutral sites. versus Yeah. The the most, the most that I would do with, it is the quarters. That's the furthest I would go with on-site, Ryan, just because I could say, hey, there's merit to allowing the teams that qualified as the top four seeds to play a game at home. Because, like, you're almost penalized as far as, like, the way the format is. You're almost penalized by being one of the top four teams because you never get a home game. Or if you're the five through eight, yeah, you get a chance to have a game at home. Uh, it, it, so it, from from that standpoint, of course, you're you're not penalized because you play fewer games. I would be okay if they wanted to have the quarters also on a home field. I'd be okay with that, but I also don't I don't have a problem with the way they do. I, I really like the idea of the first round games being on a home field and then the rest being neutral fields. I, I'm okay with that. I definitely would do semifinals and championship on neutral fields, 100% on that one. But first, yeah. first two rounds is as far as I would go with that, Ryan. What are your thoughts on that? It's really matter to me, <laughs> to be honest. Like, I mean, I, I think for a program for a coach perspective like home field advantage is great right you get to be able to Mm -hmm. control the atmosphere a little bit better you get to be able to be have your guys in a familiar situation from a week to week from the week perspective and be able to you know kind of control things a little bit more because i think that's the big thing about the neutral site games is things aren't in your control anymore right and when you're on the road things aren't as much in your control like you try to dictate as much as possible but it's taken away from you just based upon where you are functionally at the time. So I think that there is a lot of merits to having home advantages in the playoffs. It's far out. I, I haven't thought about it as enough, enough, to be honest. Like I wouldn't need to kind of sit down and think about it a little bit further, but I'm okay either way. I am. I mean, I, I think that there is merit though to you guys were the number one team in the country. You were undefeated. You did everything you had to do. You did it in a deserving fashion. You deserve to have some home field advantage in certain scenarios. I'd be okay with it, but as, as a spectator, me personally, like, would it be cool if Notre Dame had a home game? For sure, that'd be awesome. Yeah. But just me as an analyst, I, I, I'm good. Just play football, we'll be good. Well, Notre Dame has a chance to always have a home game if they're a five through eight seed because they can never be a top four seed, and and that's the only thing. Like, that would be the only thing for me is if we're constantly winning our division, then we never have a chance to have a home game. Of course, the counter is you already get an advantage because you don't have to play a first round game. They they um, wouldn't give you the but, advantage in the national championship, though, right? The national championship. No, like that's what I'm neutral. saying. Like I'm not yeah. going past the quarters. Like the the yeah. second round, yeah. basically, which is the quarterfinals, is the latest I would go with home fields. It, so it'd be that first game that the top four seeds play. I'd be yeah. more willing to to go there uh, and, and allow mm-hmm. that. But I also am okay with the way it is now. I think yep. both, but I would not go. Um, the semifinals to me is now giving too much of an advantage to those higher ranked teams. Cause now you're guaranteeing them, you know, the top two seeds are guaranteed now two home games. Right. At this point in time. And then the, the three and four have a potential for two home games. If a one or a two gets upset. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I'm not going past the quarters and, and I'm also okay if they leave it the way it is now. And I definitely don't want um, – I would not go the opposite. He didn't ask this, but I would not go all neutrals either. I like 
I think the one of the best ways to make those first round games more interesting is to, in fact, give you, hey, you're playing for home field advantage. So like you're late in the year, Ryan, you're the nine seed. You're now, you know, your know, latest college football playoff rankings came out. You're the nine. You're watching mm-hmm. those teams ahead of you that next week, hoping that one of those teams gets knocked off so you can jump up and get a home field game. I, I think that just is one more thing to add intrigue to it. Because otherwise it's like, well, what's the difference of being nine or eight or seven if you're going to have to play at the Citrus Bowl anyway? You know right. what I mean? It's like, okay, but now it's like that nine, eight flip in week 13 means something now. Just adds mm-hmm. more intrigue to it, in my opinion. Sure. We have John A1. Who's the better athlete between Pat Coog and Rocco Spindler? Better athlete? athletes. Yeah. yeah they're they're very different. Um, yeah. Pat moves a little bit better laterally. I think Rocco moves yep. a little bit better vertically. Yeah. That's how I would say it. Rock, Rocco's more explosive in a straight line. I don't think that he is as flexible, though, as Pat. So I think they're about the same athlete. They're just different, right? Overall, like if we're talking about just like the yeah. tier of athlete, but yeah, they're just different. They're very different players, in my opinion. Agree. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tyler Robinson, with the inevitability continuation of conference realignment that threatens to leave a sizable chunk of the sport behind, does the living history of college football fans hold dear fade with it? Look, to me, the problem that I have, Ryan, with a lot of the the conference realignment isn't so much that there's conference realignment. There's always been conference realignment. I mean, the... The Big Eight and the Big used to be, I mean, the Big 12 used to be the Big Eight. The Pac-12 used to be the Pac-8. You know, there used to be a Southwestern Conference. There used to be a Big East Conference. And and to me, so th- those things aren't, aren't so much issues for me as much as it's the manner in which they're doing it. I'm totally fine if there's conference realignment, if it's done smartly, Tyler. That That's the thing. I think the problem that you're having now, and it speaks to your question, is there's no rhyme or reason to the realignment other than just dollars. And so what you're doing in the way that you're having to make schedules now is, is you're losing some rivalries. You're losing the regional aspect of college sports. And, and I think that's a mistake. I, and again, it just kind of goes back to what we've been saying for a while. There's just not enough smart visionaries in the game. There's no Dick Gavitt's right. That, 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 you know, if you, if you're familiar with Dick Gavitt, and and what he did starting the the uh, the Big East. I mean, it just there's just there's just not guys like that anymore. 
and I, I think I'm saying his name correctly, right? The, the, the old basketball coach, right? Um, I could, I think I'm getting his name right, wrong. Give it, just hold on a second. It was Dave Gabbett, excuse me, Dave Gabbett. And, and so to me, there's just not those kind of visionaries that are able to say, are what we doing? Like one of the big things that, that Dave Gabbett had in mind was, it was the way that they put the biggies together. It was like intentionally like creating new rivalries. And what they're doing now is basically eliminating a lot of that. And, and I think that's unfortunate, but uh, Tyler, that's my biggest fear. I mean, honestly, selfishly, if fans lose their passion for college football, I'm out of a job. So, I mean, selfishly, that's why it matters for me that people remain passionate about the game. And that's my, one of my big fears. And plus I love college football. And, you know, I want to make sure that my nieces and nephews and your kids, and if I'm ever blessed enough to have kids, that my kids would be able to say, hey, look, this is something that I love too. And just that kind of going away a little bit because of this lack of leadership that they have. And that's that's sad. And you said, I don't want it to lose its uniqueness, Tyler. And in your follow-up in the chat, and I, I think you're spot on. I, that's my fear. That's my fear with this whole thing, to be honest with you. Domer Grizz with a question as does Mars Freeman have NFL aspirations? I could see him patrolling the NFL NFL sideline someday. I just hope it's 10 years from now after conquering college football and looking for the next challenge. As of right now, I've never once heard from anyone associated with Mark Freeman that actually knows him that he has NFL aspirations. I think he loves working with young people. I think he has a passion for helping young men, you know, grow up to be grown men and develop as people. I think that's something he's very he very much enjoys and maybe that goes away someday. But as of right now, I think it's why I don't see him being an NFL coach. Okay. John, uh, let's see here. Let's go to Bobby S. Bobby S says, do you think the staff is taking too many commitments early with how good the 25 class is? And with us being in a pretty good spot with a lot of hell of a player, should they be more selective? Well, Bobby, I, I think you could make a case for that, but, We've been here in the past, and and sometimes you get too selective, and then you end up missing on those guys you want, and now you don't get anybody. I think what this staff is choosing to do is taking certain guys, and then if they can, can and still keep, continue recruiting those other players, and if you get them, okay, great. Like James Simon at running back, like they already have two running backs. They kept recruiting James Simon. Why? Because they think he's really good, but they didn't want to be in a situation where, you know, they also missed out on other guys. So. I think what you're seeing is there is their willingness from this staff to over recruit because of the fact that you there are no more lim- there are no like limits on numbers of guys you can sign. The realization that you're going to lose guys in the portal, it's easier to kind of convince guys to go into the portal. That you know four may be our number now receiver, but by the time we get to November, it you may need five. So they're going to keep recruiting. Same thing we've seen it before with defensive line. They met their numbers needs and they kept recruiting Damian Shanklin. They offered Ethan Utley. They offered, you know, they, they were recruiting Javion Campbell, offered him, I believe. And, and so you're seeing all these different things where you're like, wow, they're full, but they're still recruiting guys. And we talked about it earlier. Yes, they are. They got their two safeties. They met their numbers needs. They're still recruiting Jadon Player. So I think we have to prepare ourselves for the reality that Notre Dame is not going to stop recruiting certain positions and certain players just because they met their numbers needs. At, you know, there's things I like about that, things I don't like about that, right? If you're going to just do it to then just bring in five, great. 
If you're going to do it to bring a guy in and then push a kid out who's been committed to you for six or seven months and is doing everything right, that I don't like. But if you're just going to go beyond your numbers because you have room on your roster, go for it. And that's what they're doing at, at that point. And I have no. And now, if a kid wants to leave because he doesn't want to compete against other guys, that's fine. You know. So uh, I just I understand the sentiment, Bobby. But I think we are we are in a different world now because of the portal. And if your number's twenty three, based on where you are now, the reality is the odds of you actually being at twenty three when it comes signing day are pretty slim. Because you're just going to lose. Yeah. I mean, who a year ago really thought Braylon James and Rico Flores were both going to be gone after one year? Ryan, if I'd have told you a year ago, Braylon James is going to leave after one year, you'd have been like, no, no yeah. way. I would have been like, no, no way. Yeah. That's what happened. I mean, it is what it is. If I'd have told you a year ago, Tobias Merriweather is not going to be on the team after the end of the, spring, at the, end of the season. Yeah. No way. Now all three of them are gone. And yeah. so now all of a sudden, your number was three. It's eventually, it could grow to five. It, there's going to be injuries that could happen. There's just so mm-hmm. many different things, Ryan, that can happen between now and then that you just have to you have to build a roster differently now. And Marcus yeah. Freeman and this staff want to be a high school team. So if you can recruit, if you get Derek Meadows and Jerome Bettis, and you're sitting there and you're still recruiting Taylor and Taylor, and he's not going to decide till signing day, and you stay on him, stay on him, stay on him, you're you're in one of two spots. You're going to need another receiver. Am I going to take Taylor Taylor? Or am I going to go to the portal? Well, it depends on whether or not you land Taylor and Taylor on signing day. And if you don't, you go to the portal. If you do, you take five receivers. I just think we're, yeah. we're in that world now. And I actually commend Notre Dame for being more willing to recruit past their quote-unquote numbers, anticipating those things as long as they avoid the pitfall of forcing kids out that are doing it yeah. the right way. And, and we, 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 were, we were in that boat with Cedric Irvin. And I didn't like it then. The only reason that that I made an exception for it was because it was a new coach. It was a you, Dean sure. McCullough did not recruit the kid. That's a different situation, and and so I can live with it then. But I don't want to get in a situation where you bring a kid in, he doesn't take visits, he sells the class, he does everything right, and you force him out because you got somebody better. Right. I I don't want to do that. But if if it's a situation where we love you. We love you. But I got a chance to go out and get some even better. And we're going to take both of you. Do it. And then the kid doesn't want to stay in that situation. Okay, that's a different story for me. But that's the world we live in now. And I think Notre Dame is adjusting to it and, and recruiting to that. So we have to adjust our, our, our mindsets and not be so stuck on the numbers this. Because that's what it is for now. A month ago, two months ago, it was three. Because they didn't anticipate Braylon, Rico, and Tobias all being gone right after the offseason. So that's where we have to be at my, in my point in time. I, I don't look, I, I think that we need to understand that Notre Dame views players differently than what you might view as a certain player or my might view a certain player. I also believe this, Brian, this is just my overall opinion on this. I don't care if Notre Dame loves a player and wants to take him early. I could not care less. Great. Sounds good. The only issue that I'll ever have, and this isn't even a Notre Dame thing, this is a a, a program center team, is just don't take players that you don't love early just to take a number. Like that's yeah. crazy because that's when guys do get pushed out, in my opinion. If you take a player early where you're just like, yeah, we love, like him, you know, we don't really love him, but that's when guys get 
effed over in the end, in my opinion. Yep. And I don't, I don't like that scenario, right? Like take players early that you really like and love. Don't take players just to fill a number early on. That's, that's not my, don't my take style. a player. If you plan on, if you plan on forcing them out, that's wrong. That's wrong to me. Hey, we're going to take this kid to hold us a gap until we can hopefully go recruit someone. And if we get someone, then we're going to force them out. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like when teams do that. Um, to your point, Ryan, you're we're 100% on the same page yeah. on that one. If you know you're not, if you know your goal is to eventually force the kid out, don't take them. That that's yeah. that's my thing. But again, I'm also okay with you take a kid, and I'm going to keep recruiting this other kid at this position because he's better. And if that kid decides he doesn't want to stay in the class because we got somebody better, that's a him decision. But th- that him decision better not be because you stopped calling him or you stopped returning his calls, or you stopped showing him love, that, that's not okay. Um, and so once, once, yeah. once you offer a kid a committable offer and he commits, then you should, that marriage should, should last and should be about respect until that kid gives you a reason not to. Kid starts going on visits, okay, cool. Yeah. You're not in the class anymore. That's different. Oh, that's so different. I hate, the ba- I hate the backhandedness of that as well as far as yeah. like just – start ignoring a kid and stuff. It's just like, dude, if you're going right. to do that, at least have a truthful conversation with a kid. Right. Like, and again, this is a man, call him up Every, and tell him a what's lot up. of programs exactly. do this. You know what I mean? And it's just like, just have the Remember when, with um, man and be like, when hey. Harbaugh did that to that t- tackle that ended up going to Oklahoma, uh, when he first took over at Michigan, it was Eric's, mm-hmm. I forget the kid's name, but yeah, he just like, they just ignored the kid for like oh, a Eric, month. Eric Svensson or something. Eric yes. Svensson, something like that. Like that. Yes. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, dude, that, you know, like, that's the thing I respected about. Look, I know Cedric Irvin Sr. wasn't happy, and I know Cedric Irvin Jr. weren't happy, and they had every right to not be happy. But I did respect the fact that Notre Dame called him up more straight with him. Here's the deal. Yeah, you know exactly. You, you know, you, you may not like it, but you were man about it, and that's what I would just wish that. That should how that's how it should always be. Yeah, exactly. That's how sure. it should always be. We had Joe Allen with a question. He said, "With the possibility of having bookshelf losses." In the season, which game is more important to have the win, AM or USC? Bookshelf losses. I think he means bookend. Okay, bookend losses. Yeah. Let's see. Got it. Got it. Uh, which game is more important to win? I mean, there's there's two arguments, Ryan. One is AM's more important because you get you build some early momentum. I still think it's the last game. I think people care more about how you finish than how you start. Plus, you have the rivalry aspect. So at the end of the day, I'm going to go with USC, but I think you could make a case for AM because. The, the, if you win early, it increases your chances. You win late because you build some early momentum. But I mean, like I said, yeah. I still remember USC starting the season one and three back in 2016 and getting obliterated in two of those games. I think, I think didn't Bama beat them like 55 to three or 55 to six or something like that. By the end of the year, Bama USC would have been a great game in 2016. Great game by the end of the year. Early in the season, yeah. it was a mismatch. Because they were complete – that's one where, like, I hear people keep talking about Bama in 2023 was a completely different team in November than they were in September. No, they weren't. They were a slightly better version of themselves, just like most teams are. In 2016 USC, they were very different because they made a completely different – they went from Mac, uh, who was the kid's name at quarterback? Max Brown. Max, Max Brown. Yes, they went from Max Brown to Sam Darnold, and they completely changed their football team. They had a couple yeah. other guys that didn't play a lot early. They 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 were a legitimately different team by the end right. of the year. And I still that was one of the most entertaining bowl games I've ever seen. That Rose Bowl game between Saquon Barkley and Chris Godwin's Penn State team. 
against that Sam Darnold USC team. I think the final was like 52 to 49. It was a phenomenal game, man. But uh, that that's kind of how I look at it. But I, I'm going with the USC. It's, it's be, beating USC is always the better option, in my opinion. Agreed. I would say so. Yeah, especially with the placement of the game as well. I, I think that it's – look, you never want to but losing early, potentially Texas A&M, gives you a lot more of a ability to rebound than if you lose late. And sometimes that can be a decider in the most important games, you know, going down the stretch. So I would pick the win against USC if I had to pick one. Although I do think there's merit to saying Texas A&M for people out there just because yeah. of the setting the table for the what the season. SEC like win also. Yeah. yeah. Ryan, this uh, this question I'm going to bring up next made me laugh because it's in response to a tweet that you had earlier. This is a great question. I'm going to read this okay. one from Archer. Ryan, which okay. wide receiver or tight end has the most robust route inventory in the 2024 draft? <laughs> I'm, I'm not answering this, Archer. I'm sorry, man. I <laughs> I look, I, I think people understand, and I, I'm assuming that Archer, you know, because you know, you know, you know me personally at this point, but these some people, man, it's just like inventing scouting lingo to try to act like they have some secret sauce. Brother, get better at watching film and you don't need to invent new lingo in your arsenal. My gosh, he has a varied route tree, he has mm. a, a toolbox. To work with. like yeah. there's so many other scouting terms to say what you just said that are logistically like they they make sense they've been known Logically, they are well yeah. versed like I I've literally have talked to scouts in the past and I've never heard any scout in my life current or former that say robust route inventory you're trying to sound smarter than you are just say that they have a varied route tree please for the love of God say they have a varied route tree please <laughs> robust okay Ryan which wide receiver uh, tight end has the most varied route tree or has the best toolbox from a route standpoint. I did love that Archer did that because I, I knew you were going to be annoyed by yeah, it. But I but I do want to I do want to get your answer to the question. Yeah. Um uh, uh in a you know, so yeah, there's the probably probably Malik neighbors, I guess. I mean, he lines up inside and outside and he's really good in and out of his breaks. They've asked him to do a lot of different stuff. Like he's been vertically oriented, he's run the whips and, and the short area area stuff, the option routes. Like he's done a lot of stuff. I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is at least in the conversation because he's a pretty special route runner for being six four. Like you just don't see guys that often be able to do that type of stuff. At tight end, it's probably Brock Bowers. I mean they asked him to mm-hmm. inline slot outside as a boundary at times and run a different variety of routes from different alignments. So I think that three off the top of my head, I would just say is Malik Neighbors, Marvin Harrison Jr., and Brock Bowers, probably top three. Ryan, I, I obviously you know this. I'm working my way through some LSU film from last year. I'm breaking down all their games against Power Five teams. And the other thing that you have to re- realize about what they do with Malik Neighbors is he has to make a lot of post snap decisions on where he's going to go and what he's going to do. Yeah, and I think that that's uh, something that knows. NFL teams are going to like as well. You know, in, in, option yeah. routes, conversion routes. You know, like okay, am I? You know, my, you're, the, the, they'll convert go routes to just pure stops. They'll convert go routes to comebacks. Uh, they do a lot of double type moves. They do a lot of post snap switches. You know, they run a lot of burst corners and different things like that. And you know, so yeah, I think he has a. They'll run him on a lot of overs. But the thing about it is, to your point, they will play him all over, and not yeah. just line him up in the slot. But they'll start him off here, shift, then motion him and get him in a different type of situation. So, yeah, they did ask a lot of him 
this the last two years. There, there's no doubt about it. He definitely with, has with a very robust Brian Thomas. story. Yeah. Well, it, it, it made it made <laughs> it made Brian Thomas such a much, much better player because he does not have a robust route inventory. No, he no, is much no. more vertical. His route inventory is very goes, uh, yes, very yes, very limited. Very uh, there. Yes. Well, that, the but, worst part of were, that, that whole conversation, the whole worst part of the whole conversation. I'm sorry to cut you off, but like there was okay. a bunch of Tavion Sanders is having the robust. I'm like, dude, Tavion Sanders does not run that much variety of routes. No. Like he's a slide. Well, that that's the guy, thing, right? Ryan. Like, I I understood what the guy was trying to do. I I do, and and because I'm not in your world as the I I'm let it 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 was more funny to me, but I know where you're coming from because I have had to deal with that. Like I've been at coaching clinics where this guy, I'm like, dude, what yeah. what are you saying? You're 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 just saying things that to to make yourself sound smart. You don't need to reinvent the wheel here. We're all, you know what I mean. You're trying to say something to us, but if if you're gonna use a player, that's not the one you use. Because he doesn't right. have that, in my opinion. You know, to, to your no. point, you want to you want to say that about Brock Bowers? Go for it. You know, because yeah. he does a lot of different things. If you want to use that about certain players, fine. But that's not the guy that I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go there with. And then Archer's still trying to poke the squirrel. He said, "I'm surprised Davion Sanders didn't make your list of guys with the robots." <laughs> Roger, he would not have. He would not have been in my top ten choices. No, Archer. Would not have been no, he definitely not. Definitely not. Might not have been in the top five at tight end in the in the draft, but uh, I mean, I, I like the player as far as he's a really good yards after catch tight end. He's a mm-hmm. really good athlete. He can be a seam runner, but like the first thing, one of the top five things, if you ask me, the top five things about Jatavion Sanders route running, not one of them, my friends. Like it's not mm-hmm. that's not near the top of the list. Yeah, here's an interesting one, Ryan. I'm going to ask you, uh, and this you can just kind of go with your lifetime of what you've seen. Sure. This is NFL draft question from John A1. Who do you see as the top three wide receiver prospects of all time? Tim Brown, Keyshawn Johnson, Julio Jones, Megatron, Harrison Jr., others. I'm going to just say this. If you're going to go back all the way to Tim Brown and not have Randy Moss in that conversation, we're going to have to have a talk about that one. Uh, but, Ryan, from what you've seen, give me your list of, of the best three that you've evaluated, not just not just in what you're doing yeah. now, but even if there's somebody that you watched when you were younger or you've gone back to study or yeah. whatever the case may be. You can answer however you want to go with this one. Well, it, it was, I mean, if I'm just working off of just my opinion and not as much like written content and actual evaluation, like Alvin Johnson was a guy where I was just like, dude, that like, have we ever seen an athlete like Calvin Johnson at wide receiver? I mean, a six foot five, 235 plus pound kid who ran four, three, five in someone else's shoes at the combine, like freak show stuff, man. Like it doesn't even make it doesn't make sense what Calvin Johnson was as an athlete. So, I mean, just off of memory, but like the guys that have graded highest for me, Marvin Harrison Jr. I think is going to end up like two or three. Like he's going to be very high. Jamar Chase is actually the highest guy I've ever graded. I I was a huge Jamar Chase guy, man. I really was. I love that guy. And it, people are calling Marvin Harrison Jr. a generational player. I, I don't agree. I, I think that he's very good. I think he's one of the great receivers we've seen in recent years. But I actually did have Jamar Chase rated higher than what I will have of Marvin Harrison Jr. And I'm very high on Marvin Harrison Jr. Ryan, to to talk about how good of a prospect that Calvin Johnson was, Calvin Johnson was a thousand yard receiver in a triple option offense. Like with Reggie Ball throwing him the ball. Reggie Ball was an awful quarterback, man. Like absolutely terrible. He had 76 catches for 1,202 yards and 15 touchdowns in his last year. He had 
48 catches for 837 yards and seven touchdowns as a freshman in the triple option offense. He's, he's so, a freak, yeah. man. He was a freak. Yeah. yeah, and everybody in the stadium knew every time he every time the, the the Reggie ball would drop back to throw, everybody in the stadium knew where his ball was going. He had 1,200 yards. The next guy, James Johnson, had 608 yards, and there was only two other players in the entire roster that had over yeah. 100 yards. Think about that. They only passed for 2,300. He had over 50% of their route yards. Like, that's just nuts because you know where it's going. I mean, that that yeah. he was sus- – and then, of course, Notre Dame kind of held him in check. If you, Notre Dame fans will remember that shot that Chinadum and Duque had on him on that post route where he got drilled, but it's like the ball should not have gone there. That's the reality of it. I, but um, I, he was a I he just, was a freak. I've never seen anything like him. Like some people, you just need to go back to his combine numbers for anybody out there and just like marvel at it for a second. I mean, the kid. I mean, again, guys, he was like six five, two thirty five, and ran four, four three five. And the in the story, and he verified it. It was that literally he wasn't planning on running a forty, and he got the itch while he was there and was like, "Hey, borrow your cleats," and he took somebody else's cleats and ran four three five at two hundred thirty five pounds. Like, Man, all right. Agent Relax. was probably pissed when he did that, but yeah. yes. Well, it wasn't afterwards. Yeah. He's like, oh, good, yeah. good move, sir. Good move there. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But that that guy was a freak. I'm actually trying to find something here real quick. Yeah, he ran a he ran a four three eight, Ryan, a one five four split at the combine. Who's that? Calvin? Calvin Johnson. I thought it, yeah. I thought it was four three, four, three five, eight. That could be wrong. Hmm. Yeah. He ran eight, yeah. He ran a two, five, six, 20 yard split, one, five, four, 10 yard split, which is for a long legged guy is really good. Oh, and by the way, it is pro day. Well, I have four, I have four, three, he jumped 42 and a half inches. There. Yeah. If you look at his 42 um, and a half inches, if you go to mock draftable, you can make a spider chart of him, mm-hmm. and it is the most hilarious thing of all time. Literally, here are his numbers based upon combine and pro day six, five, 239. 33 and three eighth inch arms, nine and a quarter inch hands, which actually isn't that big considering him. Four, three, five, 40, 42 and a half inch vert. And he had a 139 inch broad, which would be what? That would be 10, um, 11 feet and seven inches. Is that right? That was his seven? best from a percentile standpoint was his best. 99%. <laughs> yeah. Vertical leap, 98 percentile. And he was in the 95th percentile. For a guy that was six five and he weighed in Ryan at the combine thirty two thirty nine, yep. So, yeah, yeah that's nuts. Absolutely, it's pretty good. Not bad. Yeah, yeah. He, he's he's in my list of guys. I I was not. I'll say this: I was not as in love with Julio Jones as as some other people were. I thought Julio was very good, but I think he was getting a lot of the generational stuff and i'm like yeah aj green is kind of the similar kind of players and you know what i mean like i, the, I, I, I like you can't have two gen- like yeah you can't have two generations you know i don't know if you can have two generational players in the same draft class but uh he was still very very good i just we just that's just what a lot of this has turned into right? it, it turns into a hype machine you know like this is the greatest yeah. this that and the other thing and it's like no he's not and then it's like there's also a lot of group thinking it, Ryan, which I know drives you nuts because especially the people who aren't to me, real evaluators, because you'll get into this. Well, let me go. Let me go. You and I were talking about this yesterday. Let me go say a bunch of dumb stuff about Drake may. And then all of a sudden every other idiot that, that doesn't know, just jumps on board. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw the same thing. Well, okay. Now we know you're both idiots, you know, and, and you and I have both had critical things to say of what Drake may did this year, but like, 
if you're going to be critical of him, there's things you can point to that we can all kind of say, yeah, you know, that's something he's going to have to work on the next level. But some of the things that it's like, dude, you guys are just idiots. I mean, you're just, you're talking out of your, you know, what's now people are calling him inaccurate. I'm just like, look, man, I I think that Drake may locks onto his first read too much. Yeah. I think he made some bonehead decisions at times this year. And I think he has a little bit of a long lever. Those are the three things that I would say, but accuracy because people don't understand the difference between a bad decision and an inaccurate pass when they're not real evaluators that's the problem so yeah it's ridiculous here's a funny one we have from mike mike i'm not gonna butcher your last name so we'll just call you mike h hanashowski that's my best shot hanashowski is what i'm gonna say i hope i got that right mike okay steve burline better nfl quarterback than jim harbaugh do you agree I don't remember Steve Berline enough. I remember Jim Harbaugh in late years. I'm going to slightly agree with that, Mike. If you look at their numbers, they're almost identical. I think I think Harbaugh threw for like 2,000 more yards. They had very similar TD interception numbers. I think Berline had a little better touchdown to interception ratio. They were 57 to 58% completion rate. They both had losing records as starters. What I would say is Steve Berline's best years were better than Jim Harbaugh's best. Years. I think Harbaugh probably had a more consistent career, but Berline was Berline had about three years where he was really productive and really good. He had a four thousand yard season, and he I think he had more three thousand yard seasons than than Harbaugh did. Uh, but you know, Harbaugh just got more I think opportunities to be a starter. Where Steve didn't get as many opportunities to be a starter, but Steve Berline at his best in the NFL to me uh, was better than than. Uh, Jim Harbaugh at his best, in, in my opinion. So. I, I also think Steve Berline was definitely better than John Harbaugh as a quarterback. So uh, I'm, you know I'm safe I mean. to assume that one. No, you no, no. I, I, I wasn't. I know I was just adding on to it. I, yeah, I don't even okay. think you said that, but yeah. Okay. John Harbaugh did he? John Harbaugh didn't play quarterback. I know that's why it was a joke. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> didn't get it. Um, but to uh, to Andrew's point, to to like Andrew, you're not actually. I'm just going to try to help you debate here a little bit. To say no way, Harbaugh was pretty good in Indy doesn't actually say anything. In, in in response to say he was pretty good in Indy, did we say he sucked in Indy? Never said that. So you have to make a better argument. He was pretty good in Indy, but just for the record, he had one good year in Indy. Uh, he went four and five his first year, had nine touchdowns and six picks. He went seven and five in his second year. 25, 75 yards, 17 touchdowns, five picks. I think that's the year they went to the playoffs. His next year, they went seven and seven, 13 years and 11, 13 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, went seven and seven. And then his last year in Indy, they went two and nine and he had 10 touchdowns, four picks. And I think, I think got benched that year. So number one, um, he wasn't pretty good in Indy. Number two, name me a year in Indy that's better than Steve Berline's best year he had in Carolina, where he threw for 4,436 yards and had 36 touchdowns and 15 interceptions. Name me a year where Jim Harbaugh was that good in Indy. You, you can't you can't find one because he wasn't. Name me a year where Jim Harbaugh was as good as Berline was the next year when he threw for 3,700 yards and 19 touchdowns. So, yes, Jim Harbaugh did have a couple decent years in Indianapolis, but as I said, you know, you got to push back other than saying, like, it's like saying, well, you know, no, you know, Joe Montana or John Elway's not as good as, or Joe Mon- Joe, John Elway's better than Tom Brady because he had some great years in Denver. Okay. No one should deny that. But that 
doesn't mean he's better or, or, or Tom Brady's better than John Elway because he had some great years in, in New England. Okay. That doesn't say anything, right? They were both had good years. You actually have to prove why he was better, not to just say he had some good years. And so, um, yeah, I just, I, I just don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. So, and you say, okay, he had a pro bowl year. Jim Harbaugh had one pro bowl year, right? Do you know how many pro bowl years that, that Steve Berline had? Three. One. Okay. I, and, and again, so like you, you, yeah. you have to have some context. You're only arguing from the side that, you know, you're probably Colts fan. So you're, 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 you know, you're, you're kind of going there and, and saying, okay, that, that there you go. That's fine. You can say that, but Steve Berline also had a pro bowl year, same amount as Jim Harbaugh had. So again, you, you got to come, you got to come with a little bit more than that than just, okay, he had a pro bowl year. Now, yes, you are correct. Jim Harbaugh wasn't saved by the bell once and Steve Berline wasn't. So, okay, there you go. There you go. Uh, but was he in uh, saved by still, the bell? yeah, he was in an episode of saved by the bell. He screeches cousin. So yes, I'm, oh, nice. I'm going to offensive comeback player of the year. Steve never did that. Dude, you're reaching. Cause to come back, that means you had to get benched or something in the first place. So come on, dude, let, let's, let, let's, let's be honest about that. Okay. You're, you're reaching at that point in time. So I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to push back on you a little bit about that one. So that's just a not not a strong take in my opinion. Not a strong take. All right, let's get to uh, some more questions here, Mr. Roberts. Did he have Did he have a robust route inventory though? Is the real question that we're that's searching the great question. He threw to a very robust route inventory during yes. his years where he never got to three thousand. Well, I'm sorry, he had one three thousand yard passing season with the Bears. So that's what that Jim Harbaugh had uh, had that, and then uh, Steve Berline had one, two, three, three thousand yard seasons during his career. One with two with the two with the Panthers, and then one with the Arizona Cardinals or Phoenix Cardinals at the time, actually. So got to go with my guy Steve on that one, right? Micah with a question. I would still like to see Matt Campbell as head coach of Notre Dame. Why? <laughs> My only that. Answer is why? Why? I, why? I, don't, I don't even dislike Matt Campbell, but like, no, no, thank you. I'm all no. right. No, no, like, no clue, no clue why that would be a thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, we got salty with a question. Considering how the 2023 class has looked and the 2024 class is shaping up, what two recruits commits from the 2022 and 2023 class that got away have kept Notre Dame from closing a gap? I mean, the big one that jumps on my head is Keon Keeley. I mean, that's that's yes. the big one for me. I mean, I mean, honestly, it's two kids from the same class. You get Keon Keeley and Peyton Bowen in the 2023 class, and we're we're having a much different conversation about Notre Dame's defense yeah. going into next year. Keep, I mean, Peyton Bowen's just, probably like, could you imagine Peyton on the other side of Xavier Watts this year? That'd be uh, yeah, be pretty good, man. Be pretty dang. Well, I mean, good. Peyton Bowen would have played a ton as a freshman at Notre Dame. There's no doubt about that. He yeah. played a ton at Oklahoma. He would have played a ton at Notre Dame too. And you talk about going into next year with him and. With him and Xavier Watts side by side, yeah, you're you're going to be a pretty darn good secondary. I mean, a yep. really really good freaking secondary. And uh, you know, you you throw Keon in there, and you've got and yeah, that that's the two. I mean, I don't know that there's even a conversation for anybody else, honestly, in my opinion. I think that's an easy that's an easy two guys. It really is. Mm-hmm. We had N- I'm going to ask NC I'll read this one for you. This is more for you. NC Notre Dame fan. I'm watching the combine on NFL Network. I still don't understand how this matters more than film. Shaking my head, guys running around in shorts and lifting weights. 
I mean, it matters if you, it, look to the degree that people try to make it out to. I agree. It doesn't matter as much as people try to sometimes make it out to be because there are literally people out in the evaluator world that they kind of work in numbers and raw athletic scores into their evaluation, which I think is the most misguided thing of all time. I'm watching a player. I think they're very athletic. I go to the combine. They are, they test like a really good athlete. That's just the check mark for it, right? Like that doesn't add to the evaluation. That doesn't change the grade in any capacity. But NC Notre Dame fan, I will say this is that the tele televising the combine is much more from the general public and just getting excited about players. It's not as much mm -hmm. for the NFL scouts. Rarely ever do athletic scores truly change a team's grade on a player. It's more about them getting in them into a similar situation, seeing how competitive they are as, as, as competitors on a, on a on-field perspective. But more than anything, it's about the medicals. It's about the one-on-one -on -one interviews. It's about those team sections a whole lot more. I think that we just evaluate the combine as what a guy does on the field. You know, the 40 time, the L drill, the short shuttle, the vertical, and all that stuff's fun, right? It's fun to talk about, but ultimately what matters more to NFL teams for the most part is how does it, how does a player interview? How do they show up in the meeting rooms? How are they on the whiteboard? And what do the medicals check out on? So those are the things that matter a whole lot more. I actually don't even care that much about the, testing scores like i think it's fun it's cool it's interesting right but ultimately those those numbers are supposed to just verify things it's built in about every part layer of the combine process which is a whole lot more than just how fast the player runs yeah we we can we can somewhat agree to disagree about the importance and conversations of the combine i mean they they have it for a reason ryan but uh, that's not the point of what my response is going to be my my thing is i don't know that i necessarily agree with the premise I don't know of anyone in a decision-making mode that you, you, you're you going to have scouts are going to put more emphasis or, or organizations are going to put more emphasis on, on the combine than they should. Happens all the time. Usually teams that lose a lot, they fall in love with combine guys because they fell in love with the traits on film, even though the film wasn't good. But I don't even those, I don't know of any, I don't know that I've ever heard of a, of a situation where people care more about, the running around in shorts than they do the film. I think you can say maybe you put too much emphasis on the combine than you should, but I, I don't know a lot of a lot of situations, Ryan, where the film gets ignored or, or, or overruled because of the combine outside of like maybe a player here, a player there, because there's a circumstance. Hey, this guy played in a system that we don't know, or this guy was injured a lot. So we don't have a lot of film to evaluate guy played in a triple option offense. So you know, he goes to the combine and runs a four three, and then all of a sudden they're going. You know, we may take a flyer on this kid, even though the film doesn't show us. I mean, there's all there can always be exceptions like that, but I I don't know of anybody that really puts a greater emphasis on on the combine than they do film. It, when it comes also, to this, people yeah. on Twitter do. I'm talking about sure. NFL teams and decision makers, well, right? And, and NFL teams also have a lot of insight into what a player is going to test like. There's rarely, there's rare. I know we like it's super geeked up. Like, oh my god, that that player from Northern Illinois ran a four three eight. Like, where did that come from? Well, usually NFL teams have kind of a little bit of a heads up. Like, hey, that guy's going to test really, really well, right? And right. you can take that information where you want from there. You know, it's it's a verification process. It is. There are no, there's no player that's going to be at the combine because guess what, guys. You know who picks the list of guys that are going to be at the combine? NFL teams. 
There, there's no guy there that's going there that they're like, oh my god, I've never heard of that guy before. Yeah. Oh, that's not how it works. It's just it's a verification process, man. A guy, you think a guy's really fast, he tests fast, cool, check mark, don't have to go back to a cross check. Oh man, a guy I thought was a four three kid ran a four five three. What the heck is up with that? Maybe we need to go back to the film to watch it again. That's a part of the verification process. There's not really a guy that ever pops under the radar that you've never heard of as an NFL team. That just doesn't happen. NFL teams are literally the people that put the combine list together. The people that are in Indianapolis or who team X team Y they have put up for, I want to see that kid in person. I want to see what he looks like in an athletic setting. So yeah.